Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Chapter 8 And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism on the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ 
Therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. He smashes up our vision of charity. Charity is me giving some of my stuff to someone else in order to help them out. Now, charity is a good thing, but Paul smashes it up. He does it in two ways. Firstly, he tells us our stuff isn't ours like we think it is. We haven't truly earned anything, not our salary, not our comfort, not our food or clothes or shelter. All we have has been given to us through the, through the sacrificial act of Jesus. He became poor so that through his poverty we could become rich. This is quite humbling for someone like me, and I guess you, sat under a roof, looking at a screen, having eaten some breakfast this morning, forgiven, embraced, promised all things as my future inheritance. Why has Jesus been so generous to me? When I think about it like this, none of this stuff feels like I can quite call it mine anymore. I feel slightly embarrassed to have such plenty. And then the second thing Paul does is quote a verse from Exodus. This verse is massive. Paul believes the modus operandi of all the scattered church of Jesus in the world is the same as the modus operandi of the 12 tribes gathered in the wilderness before Moses. Despite our geographical separation, we are united as members of the tribe of God. And the riches we have received from God are like manna from heaven, given to us collectively to get us collectively through today. Gulp. We must be careful not to take this too far. I don't think Paul is advocating communism or the abandonment of all savings accounts. But what Paul is saying is that a Christian in rural Tanzania or a saint in northern China, should be able to depend on having enough daily bread. They should be able to depend on us, as their brothers and sisters, to make sure they have enough daily bread. For us to share some of the manna we collected with them is considered privilege as the will of God, as an act of divine grace. Giving to them isn't charity, it is feeding the family. It's passing round the plates at the dinner table. I must admit, my stomach knots every time I read this passage. I feel a conviction from God to be more intentionally generous. Is it even generous if it's not mine in the first place? Well, whatever words we use, the call to action is clear. To push into a life of holding our possessions lightly and to give more stuff to those who are in need. Here's a question for reflection. How might Jesus be asking you to show your solidarity with his global people who are in great need? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.